When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from a bunker in the heart of the Ozarks, a podcast that's pretty sure whatever bad things you've heard about us was spurred on by jealousy, it's Sifpa. Welcome to Sif Pop Weekly, streaming live most Fridays are available to download later in your podcast feed, unless of course you're a patron. Patrons get perks. Patrons get those perks. Woo! I'm your host, Aaron Dicer, and he forgot to read the fine print about recording podcast Christmas weekend. It's Andrew Ormsby, ladies and gentlemen. I can't read. You know this. Ahoy. <laughs> Each week, we'll chat about movies, TV, and whatever else from the pop culture universe is on our minds. And please welcome our guest this week. She has no hate in her heart, except for the amazing ending to La La Land. It's Alice Ginevra McKelly. <laughs> Absolutely oh. deserved. Absolutely deserved hatred for that. G'day, g'day, g'day. I thought Aaron was the one that couldn't read. You're telling me I'm on a podcast with two people who can't read? <laughs> We're from the I Ozarks, just, Alice. I just don't read. There's a difference. <laughs> I just I have I have forgotten how to read. I knew at one point. I wish it was more oh, okay. like riding a bike. All uh, my it, books have pop up pictures. It is uh, <laughs> it is definitely good to have you back, Alice. Uh, tell us a little bit about how things have been in your like end of the year movie watching. Are you seeing everything you want to? Like, how's it going? Well, as you know, well, how's it going? How's it going is in the last week I've gotten a back injury in COVID. So Merry Christmas to me. But um, <laughs> And she asked really nicely if she, you know, could be off this week. And I said, no, you agreed to be on. You you bring your, your back pain COVID ridden self onto this podcast, Missy. That's, that's how I Luckily, speak. Luckily, it's. Luckily, we're in different countries, so it's unlikely I'm going to give you COVID. But you never know. We don't know how good the the, That's true. the That's energy true. transfer has gotten. So let me know how you guys feel in a week. But um, no, I mean, I can send you some is, icy hot for your back. Oh, thank you. I have physio cream. That's been work and aspirin. So the as- I'm, I'm I'm on Panadol. I'm on aspirin. I'm on physio cream. It's a good mix. I'm I'm feeling real good mentally, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but in terms of movies, look. We all know I live in Australia and that is the worst when it comes to award season because everything comes out in February. It's so stupid. It's like, I know we're not that far away. I know we're far away, but we're not that <laughs> far away. And so everything that you guys get by December, we have we basically get between January and March. And I have to either hope that we I can get access to it through extremely legitimate means or just wait but luckily, every now and again, we get thrown a little bone, like with, you know, t- one of today's movies, Maestro, being on Netflix or Wonka actually coming out uh, when went the rest of the world. So that's how I'm going. So I've been watching some, you know, we have Killers of the Flower Moon, we have Maestro, we've had Boy in the Hair and that sort of thing. So as they come out, I've been watching them. Um, May, December is another one. And then I just have to sit patiently and listen to all these people talk about movies that I'll be like, I'll see it in a month. (laughs) So that's me. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And that's why I watch so much TV. It's out of necessity. Otherwise, I'd just be sad and alone down under. There you go. Well, it's good news for you then that television has now surpassed movies in terms of quality. Uh, that is that is good news for you. Uh, that mm. is a reference to a 45-minute conversation we had for the amazing Sif Pop members. Uh, enjoy that on your pre-show. Um, we, uh, we accidentally talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that did I just sat back and let you two go at it. It was great. <laughs> uh, we are today going to talk about a couple of movies that Alice was able to see. Uh, Maestro, yeah. uh, which is out on Netflix, and Wonka, which is available in theaters. And because we're talking about Wonka, we're going to talk about Timmy, uh, Timmy Shalom. Timmy. <laughs> Timmy. <laughs> Timmy Chalamet. Shally Timmy Chalamet. Shally Timoth May uh, films. Uh, we're going to talk about the best uh, TC movies. And, Timothée uh, Chalamet. And, uh, and then also, of course, do some buried treasure uh, at the mm-hmm. end as well. Let's not dilly-dally, though. Let's get into it. Let's talk a little bit about Maestro. If summer doesn't sing in you, then nothing sings in you. And if nothing sings in you, then you can't make music. Something she told me. Hello, I'm Lenny. Hello, Felicia. Oh, she's so beautiful. Oh. Tell me about her. Oh, she's wonderful. She's a lovely girl. What age are we living in? One can be as free as one likes without guilt or confession. Please, I know exactly who you are. A portrait of Leonard Bernstein's singular charisma and passion for music as he rose to fame as America's first native-born, world-renowned conductor all along following his ambition to compose both symphonic and popular Broadway works. That is the description according to Letterboxd. Once again, Letterboxd lets us down. This is more a marriage (laughs) movie than it is a biopic in many ways. Uh, You've got Bradley Cooper who has had this passion project in his pocket for over five years now. In fact, he spent the last five years learning how to actually be a conductor um, and uh, actually conduct the orchestras in this movie. You've got Carrie Mulligan uh, as the love interest slash uh, significant other. And uh, then uh, I'm trying to think Sarah Silverman, you might know, pops up mm-hmm. in this. Uh, Maya Hawke uh, has been in a lot of stuff mm-hmm. recently. She's uh, one of the daughters here. Um, what did you guys think of uh, Bradley Cooper's second directorial movie? Uh, what did you think? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Alice, kick us off. I really liked it. Okay. High side of liked it. Andrew. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Movie of the year so far. Ooh, Ooh. loved it. Movie of the year. Uh, I didn't expect to be competing for anybody with my love for this movie. I I adore this film. It will mm-hmm. also be competing for movie of the year for me as well. Um, mm. I love, love, love this movie. Um, oh, good. I should I say that there are like six movies that I still have to see that could probably give it a run for its money. <laughs> sure. I will say it's it's been a very good year for movies. It really has. It really has. It's the primary reason like it's the primary reason you can't really say that TV has surpassed uh movie yeah. quality at this point uh is just this year uh 2023. Yeah. Um, yeah, the Emmys aren't bigger than the Oscars. <laughs> no. No, no, no. Uh, Andrew, uh, you said movie of the year, so I'm going to give it. I'm going to give you yeah. the lead. Tell us about uh, <gasps> why you love this movie. 
Well, because the film may be on the surface about Bernstein's life, but I think underneath this movie is about love. Love of music, yeah. love of people, love of love. It's just expressive and pure. I don't think that there's a better example of this than the chemistry between Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper. It's oh. up there with some of the most believable yeah. on-screen relationship chemistry I've ever seen. Truly magnanimous uh Daniel Day-Lewis, I mean Bradley Cooper, is transformed in this. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he really is up there with Daniel Day-Lewis, like, giving a transformed performance. I, there I are think, so many... I think they ahead. both are. I, I was, yeah, we, we, I, one, I was talking oh, with somebody... Yeah, I, I was, was talking yeah, with somebody uh, when I was re-watching this, uh, and they were re-watching it with me, and I just said, I don't I don't know which one of them is giving the, the better performance. They're both so good in I this. I had the exact same thought because I would literally yeah. be like, wow, Carrie Mulligan's amazing. And then there'd be a... And I'd be like, what? Well, but Bradley Cooper... I literally <laughs> was writing down in my notes. I'm like, but Bradley Cooper is transformative. And then there'd be a scene. I'd be, and then I rubbed out Bradley Cooper and I was like, both are transformative. It's like, it's like, <laughs> yeah. I, know, I know the point isn't who wins the acting, but it's, it's yeah. one of those things where it's just like, oh my goodness, I'm watching two heavyweights here. Just absolutely. Absolutely destroy but it. I think you're hundred percent right, Andrew. Their chemistry, like yes. it is. I I think it's. It might be a bit ironic, but it really kind of made me think. You know, Spencer Tracy, Catherine Hepburn, like. I want them to make movies together. I want them to make the next five movies together because the way they play off each other is it is crazy to me that they are not married in real life. Like I know that they're not and they're both very happy with their own, you know, their husband slash wives uh, on their own, but like, it, they have such a, a warmth together, the way that the energy, like, you know how you always hear about actors, like, you need to give and receive, and you don't, you're like, oh, that's acting fluey, but I, you see it, you see how it's so natural, it's so natural, and it serves this movie so, so well. There's a there's an improvisational nature to mm. it as well. You can tell that they're just embodying these characters yeah. and that many of the lines they're saying weren't in the script. They're just speaking yeah. as these characters. And that in part of it you see in just how much they're talking over each other. They're talking yeah. over each other so much in this movie. And yeah. it, I, I understood what they were saying. I never but felt naturally. confused. Um, well, it about, felt like a married couple would. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, there was one moment. That just it was just one of those way too real moments where in the entire the entire scene is shot from a distance down this row of trees and they're having this kind of conversation and there's this moment where they you know he says something and he starts to leave and she says something like oh are we done you know I thought we were having a conversation and he's like mm-hmm. oh no I can stick it I was like oh my goodness that is way too real yeah. <laughs> like, is, yeah. I was like I, I literally have had that, that argument yes. I've had that conversation with Toby a it's few like, times like, <laughs> I thought we were having a conversation oh uh, no that's uh, fine you we can were go. yes it's we fine. can keep talking if we're still talking we're still talking that's no, no. great no, it's fine. Uh, you yeah uh anyways continue Andrew it's but yeah not but, fine here well, you go uh gentlemen in the audience it's never fine don't (laughs) it's never fine his love for life and people is so intense even to his detriment really Mm -hmm, absolutely this is a man Mm. as is said in the movie has no hate in his heart which i think is a beautiful line by Mm. the way but that doesn't mean that he can't hurt people that he loves I have a feeling Bradley Cooper will probably win best actor if nothing else for that Mahler cathedral performance i mean it's a tough race this year 
I want to say it is it is oh. a tough race. Um, uh, we can if we want to talk about the the Mahler Cathedral six mm. minute. Uh, it broke me down. I cried so much. I I both times I've seen this movie. I've seen it twice now. Uh, mm-hmm. I I end that scene weeping, and I and I'm trying mm-hmm. to yeah. think what why am I like I'm wiping tears, and I'm like what what is going? And I think it's just the movie communicating. The mm. power and beauty of music the in passion. a way that's really difficult to do. And mm. I think part of the reason it works so well is the thought that was put into how they were going to do it. All the music mm. you hear was actually recorded during those yep. takes. Nothing is dubbed over. That is an actual orchestra playing that in the moment, in real time. That is actually him, like I said, conducting it in real time. Um, it's it's a Astonishing, and I think the the things the movie has been building up to that point have brought us to a place where we see what she is eventually seeing, which is this is love. This is how he expresses yes. love. This is where he finds the the closest he can be to communicating what love really is and what it means to find that and to express that. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's I'm, I'm glad it impacted you that way, too, because mm. I always feel like a weirdo yeah. sometimes. Uh, and I'm just like, oh, did I just cry just because music? <laughs> like, yeah. Well, I, I have to talk this. about my viewing experience. Oh, go ahead, Alice. Oh. Sorry. Oh, no, no, no. You, you go and then I'll go. <laughs> I had a totally unique viewing experience for mm-hmm. this movie. Mm-hmm. I watched it in my car. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yes. Why? Because that's a your best sound? Because my car has the best sound system <laughs> that I own. So I got my iPad and I connected it via Bluetooth and I, I just it. sat in the back seat of my car and watched it on my iPad with this great sound. So maybe that's why the cathedral performance because I had it cranked mm. up. Um, well, I, I my neighbors probably were giving me a weird <laughs> just looking say, out their windows at me bawling people, in my backseat. Hearing this intense like Mala symphony coming from the car and just hearing <laughs> being like, oh wow, this guy's really going through it. I, yeah, uh, that's I, true. I'm glad you did. I'm glad you you sought out a good sound place because that, that is the one thing I've said is I'm mm. I'm sad that a lot of people will hear this through TV speakers because mm. the mm-hmm. mix on that scene is oh. astonishing. Like the if, mix on this film is yeah. just very yeah. like I don't normally care. Like I, I care, but I don't no- actively notice it until I'm watching mm. something say that's nominated for it. But um, I, what what I will say is it's very interesting because there are certain triggers like when i say triggers there are certain things that trigger me crying in films typically it has something to do with like a parent-child relationship those are always the ones that get me i don't often cry at like or like friendship but i don't often cry at like romance or couple or that sort of thing but i also cried in the marla scene at the bit where he he leaves and goes and embraces mm-hmm. um yeah. you know his wife and and i don't i i it was I have to mention it because I wasn't expecting to. I was, you know how sometimes you can feel that you're like welling up. I wasn't. I was like just watching it and I was in trance. And then when he, when they kind of slam into each other, I just started crying and I was like, I was shocked. I was just like, oh, hello. I didn't, I didn't think I was feeling like this. And I was just, it was so 
beautiful. It was such a beautiful reunion and it, it felt so real. And that is something I want to mention about the film because I will say this. Normally when I start watching a film and it's either A in black and white or in 4-3, I'm like, oh, not everything has to be in 4-3 or not okay, everything I, has to I, be black just, and white. Just because we'll get, yes. we won't get emails, yeah. but we might get emails, whatever. <laughs> it's not technically 4-3. It's a different yes. aspect ratio called the Academy Ratio. I think it's like 1.67 or something like that. Um I forget what I'm it's right called. I'm right there with but... you, Alice. I thought it was 4-3 as well. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> well, continue. That, this, the, the Academy ratio in black and white, I sometimes I'll roll my eyes and be like, but does it need to? And this movie, I started, I was like, okay, well, we'll see. I, I actually think it served the film in this case because it felt like, and I think this really speaks as well to Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper's performance, it felt like almost I was watching archive footage of these two that I was allowed I was allowed I was allowed to watch this insight into their relationship and get some amazing shots that I shouldn't be able to obviously but it felt so personal it felt so real and it felt like a documentary with archive footage almost yeah. um so that's why I think it actually served for once <laughs> uh 1.37 is technically oh, uh what academy uh, ratio is so yeah, it's it's a little it's a little bit wider than four three, but it, it definitely looks like a square. I I have mm. been um uh I I think that that you bring up a good point that sometimes those things can feel um performative or forced or just mm-hmm. like I I remember you know coming away from Nebraska going why black and white <laughs> what what yeah. in the like just because you think it's prettier okay fine i guess but like it's you know yeah. i the colors exist and can be used in such interesting ways and um, <laughs> don't you know aaron <laughs> all of nebraska is just black and white that's just <laughs> i've been there i know that's not true um so so i have similar feelings to you um but the movie was so good here mm. that i i didn't have time to be distracted by going why is this in black and white and i actually by the mm. time you get to the end you kind of understand you know that we're going for I mean, a feel yeah. with the three different you know um segments uh with the three different aspect ratios and and 69 for the final one yeah it was like a yeah, 69 or a, a yeah. 166 um but yeah it's 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 interesting to to look at those things and 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 just go okay why are you making these choices? And I've heard people mm. talk about the Academy ratio and why they like shooting in it and the opportunity you have to frame things tighter. Close-ups, they say, look better mm. in in the Academy ratio, those kind of things. I don't know. I like the wider screen. Yeah. I, 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 believe me, I pay attention to the beauty mm-hmm. of how something is framed and how it's put in there. And there were some beautiful shots in here. But you can you can also make really beautiful shots at sixteen nine as well. Like yeah. that's what people have been doing it for years. It's um, uh, so I you know I I go back and forth, but but here I just I I didn't get distracted by it because the movie's just too good. I'm just too involved mm-hmm. immediately uh, in what's going on. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, can I talk a little bit about? Uh, Bradley Cooper's directing style. Yes. In writing style, for that matter, because he's doing it all here, just like he he did um, with uh, the Lady Star, Gaga, Star is, Born. Star is Born. I I really think there will be a tendency for some to say he's over-directing, to say he's trying to do too much, there's a little too much 
um, you know, uh, effort, like uh, efforting into it, a little try hard. Have you heard the phrase try hard? Like, mm-hmm. I, like mm-hmm. there seems like there can be that kind of leveled against these kinds of directing things. I, for one, am really glad that he is operating on a level where he doesn't care about that, where he just wants to do the art he wants to do because there were so many moments in this movie where I was in awe of what he was putting on the screen. Um, There's a moment involving a shadow, a giant shadow that is one of the most impacting moments of that early segment uh, of the film. Every single, it feels like every single shot we have was thought about how are we going to move on this? How is the camera going to move? How long are we going to be on this? Most of their incredible conversations are one takes. Most of mm-hmm. them do not cut away. They're they're locked off somewhere in the room and they don't cut away. Um, it is their uh, marriage story scene is what I'm calling it with mm-hmm. Snoopy. I. Oh, I almost like if I didn't want to break the 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 fact that I was watching them film the rhythm of the film, if you will, mm-hmm. I would have gone back and watched it again because it was just, mm-hmm. it was. I love the positioning of the camera in that scene mm-hmm. and how it kind of feels like you're their kid that's in the mm-hmm. corner awkwardly yes. watching your mum and dad yes. fight and not knowing what to do, and then the juxtaposition between that and this parade outside. And the symbol is like really the symbolism of how them being caught in this in this decision that they made early on in their relationship that has been affecting them since then has caused them to be relegated from their connections, like due to their choices where they're literally watching the world pass by, but are disconnected from it. Like it's mm-hmm. just so intelligent. It's just so smart. And I, I, that, like, I liked A Star is Born, but this is the movie where I was like, oh, wow, Bradley Cooper, like, I will watch his films that he directs. Like, he knows what he's doing. Yeah. 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 It's really incredible stuff uh, on on a visual level, the choices that that are being made, um, you know, where the camera is, all of that kind of stuff. I, I also really think the movie understands where the humor belongs in mm. you know how to uh activate it um that that scene that intense intense scene ends with one of the biggest laughs in the movie um th- that you alluded to uh mm. and it's it's one of the, it's just one of the movies or one of the things in the movie where I was just like I just really think Bradley Cooper understands how to tell a story to an audience. And that at the mm-hmm. end of the day is what you have to do is tell that story. So, yeah. um, and not I, talk down to them. Like I didn't yes. feel like, cause I know obviously the big stuff about Leonard Bernstein, but I don't really know. I'm not like a fan, like a fan hard, you know, quote unquote of Leonard Bernstein in that way. Like I haven't followed him. I haven't read up on him until this movie, but I, I understood everything that was happening. I was picking up what he was putting down. I, and it, this very much felt like show don't tell the film. Like I understood everything that was happening. I understood even, I loved the way they use his music to dictate his life. And but not in the way of like, and now he's writing this song, so this is going to be the or this. No, but you know, for, for instance, I'll just yeah. give this one example because it's mm. another example of the the great sense of humor of this movie too. There's a there's a needle drop for the sharks and jets from West Side yeah. Story in this movie that is so 
precisely placed and with razor edge wit that it's just perfect just using Mm. his music in such perfect ways uh through this movie Mm yeah uh andrew talk about my one con with yeah go for it go for it this is going to be uh controversial i feel Mm. i think the movie gets off to a rocky start i think the first third of the film the editing and pacing could have been better there were several scenes that i felt like just ended and didn't have transition smoothly into the next scene, but that quickly changed when they switched out of black and white. I I, I disagree, uh, <clears throat> but I understand what you're saying. And to clarify, you're talking about the entire black and white section. You're not talking about the start start of the movie, which I think is actually kind of spectacular. But you're you're talking about the um, no the uh, the first third, I guess you would say, as a whole. I think that there were a couple of scenes where they just ended in like like high high energy and then it just transitioned into something and like the pacing and the uh the the emotion didn't flow well in like that first third it's definitely intentional and he does it he does it throughout the movie in fact right after the mauler uh scene is another example of high high energy going to a very quiet place immediately everything cuts and immediately it's sad and like there's you know i i think he is in some ways uh emulating the idea of the rhythm of life and and how hard it is to uh to navigate those highs and lows but yeah i understand what you're saying i will also say during that black and white section though there's lots of great scene transitions mm. there's oh, he does he does yeah, this I'm thing i'm not saying that it's bad no 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 he does this thing throughout the movie where a character will walk into the next scene and, and it'll change oh yeah, so good it, mm-hmm. it's so and he does it throughout and it's it's so mm. beautiful um, and I, I really, really enjoyed that. I think the opening scene, without giving a lot of uh, away, the uh, well, actually, the opening black and white scene. There's an opening mm. coda, okay. or not coda, but the, not the not the bookends uh, of <laughs> yeah. the movie, where but, he's doing the interviews and stuff. Right? Yeah. No, the opening black and white scene. He gets mm-hmm. a phone call. Right? He gets a phone call that changes mm-hmm. his life, and it's yeah. it's shot in complete darkness but with like a silhouette of light around mm. a curtain in what looks like a stage and it's like it's this beautiful thing where it's not a stage but he's framed it to look like a stage and the curtains opening and standing on stage and i just man i just think this movie is so smart uh throughout but i really love that opening scene because it immediately gives you all the information you need to know right it's right. like you know, okay, we've cut to the the past. Um, he's in a, in bed with a man, so he's gay or he's bi. Um, he, this is his big break. He's young. He's full of life. He's full of optimism. Let's go. That's everything I needed to know going in. That's the thing. I didn't even know going into this movie anything about Bernstein's sexuality or all of that. And the, mm-hmm. the film, like I said, it tells that story and his relationship with his wife and everything around that. I was not lost at all. I knew exactly what was happening and I, I loved the storytelling of it. And I really loved that opening scene because it, it, it made me feel like maybe what he must have felt like where it went from this very calm in bed, getting a phone call to all of a sudden I'm on stage. All of a sudden everything's happening. All of a sudden I've met my wife and it's like, and now, and, and it's just kind of going from thing to thing to thing. Mm-hmm. But I also, I wasn't allowed to be bored because of it, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> I'm just does. like, oh, we're here now. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, uh, my only negative, and in, in it's uh, going to not sound like a negative because eventually I'm going to praise the movie for it. Uh, <laughs> but I think I do think this movie takes a little bit to unlock. And what I mean by that is there is a way you could view this movie and be a little bit put off or confused by what it's trying to do, what it's trying to say. Um, there is a a real sense of the dialogue in key scenes unlocking what this movie is about. There's a scene where he's talking about the difference between being a creator and a performer. Mm. Oh, I love and, that though. And it's, it unlocks this idea of this mm. conflicting part of him that mm-hmm. is wants to be on stage and performing for people, but also wants to be quietly doing his work and how he can never quietly do his work because he wants to perform for those in his life and how he can, you know, has trouble performing because he can't quietly do the work. You know, mm-hmm. the, it opens with a quote from Leonard about that, about, you know, the art isn't supposed to, uh, I forget the exact quote, but the idea is that it's those conflicts mm-hmm. that make art, you know, about believing two things and trying to justify them together. Um, so like this, I, and to, to me, that's eventually to the movie's credit, to the movie's benefit, that it's, that it's not like didactic and it's not like preaching Mm. it. It's not, it's just letting it kind of exist in these interviews in these different places. And then there's the element of their relationship being the melody, their relationship being the music, the, the, you know, they're almost a metaphor for the music he is making. Um, you know, through throughout the movie and the element, there's a little bit of Hamilton to this. And what I mean when I say mm-hmm. that is at the end of Hamilton, you're like, which Hamilton were we talking about? And at the end of this, you're kind of like, which maestro were we talking about? Um, because there is this element, he even has a couple moments of dialogue where he talks about her being the one who he basically he says you and I are a lot alike you do the same kind of things uh, I do you just do it with like me in our life or whatever I forget what that conversation was mm. and that to me is kind of the essence of what's going on here is she is the conductor in many ways of their relationship and and gives him this structure and this pattern and this rhythm to be able to understand how to love and how to create and who to be. And um, man, I just, I, the movie just continues layer upon layer to kind of yeah. unlock itself. And I think because of that, it can feel a little, the, the, the barrier to entry might be a little much. I could be wrong about that, but it, it felt like um, it felt, I, I will say this. I felt like I understood it a lot better watching it the second time. Mm. And I think that, I think that's a sign ultimately of a good movie, but, um, but it's also one of those things where, uh, I think some people could watch this once and go, uh, yeah, that was, the music was pretty. And that what was, was the biggest thing that you found on your second viewing that you took away from it? Those two conversations I mentioned. Those were the two the two big moments where I was like, oh, I've seen this. I understand now how these relate to the big picture in a broader, more meaningful, deeper way. Um, so it's all there. It's just it's. It's it's a lot just like with an orchestra. When you hear an orchestra play and the violins are doing their thing and the you know the brass is doing their thing and the percussion's doing their thing, it can all sound like oh this is a beautiful this is a beautiful piece of music. But then once you really start you to listen to it over and over again, you start to hear the individual pieces of what the strings are doing right here and oh I never caught that thing that the you know that the uh, the trombones are doing right there or whatever it might be. Um, I think the movie is a little bit like that too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I also just love how, like, 
this could have very easily been your stock standard biopic, you know? I feel like, and and this could have been something we've seen a bajillion times before, but I, I just love that it felt different. Like, I felt like I was watching some a story told in a way I haven't seen it told before, and in a way that perfectly fits the person who, and well, I will say people, because I agree. I, I think, yes, it's about Leonard Bernstein, but it's also very much about um, Felicia, like, I think that it is such an interesting way to have told the story. And I I just love that, that Bradley Cooper really tried to do something different. Like, I think people just, you know, need to, tr- speaking to conversation we were having earlier about wanting a new story about new things. Like, I love it when I, I see something I haven't seen before. And I really do believe this is delivering it to me. Yeah. Andrew, any final thoughts? Um. There is a scene, I'm not going to give away if it's a main character, man, woman, small character. I'll just say this. There is a scene where a character dies, and it is mm. the most convincing death scene I've ever seen in a movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's yeah, all sure. I'll say. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Alice, any final thoughts? <laughs> Good performance. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Oscar nominated, perhaps. Um, well, we'll find out in a month. Um, I Well, first of all, I'll say... I know that they smoke that they smoked that much, but oh my gosh, I'd never seen so many cigarettes in a film in my entire life. I was like, okay, every single scene. But um, I will say I really loved the way the aging and de-aging makeup worked. Like I thought that especially toward the end when Bradley Cooper was really old, Lenny Leonard Birdstein, I was like, did he just become old like did they just make him old? like even his hands on the bookends like there's a bit where he raises his hands and i'm just like i was i was like where's the where's the strings i don't see them it was just oh because <laughs> it was very good but i also don't know if he needed a prosthetic nose but you know the rest of the makeup was he 100 really did he 100 percent you needed so? that nose. I, I think, th- in fact, I think the nose is what makes the the makeup work. I I think otherwise it just looks like Bradley Cooper uh, mm-hmm. in yeah. in old age. And I and I and I understand the sensitivity to it. I really mm. do. I totally get you know that idea. But this this is. I don't think this is a racial thing. I think this is a Leonard Bernstein thing. This is you know. Well, that I is will what say he this. Like. Going in, that was like the only thing I'd heard about this movie was that mm-hmm. controversy. So I was like, all right, well, let's see. I mean, and then I was like, I was also like, but he has, he already has a pretty like, you know, I'm not saying that Bradley Cooper has a big nose, but I'm just saying like, <laughs> he, ha- he has a significant nose. And then I was watching it and I was like, oh, I don't care. It's so good. And also like, especially as he gets older, it it, it worked. It worked together yes, so I, well. I, I, so, again, yeah. I think it, I think it makes the character. I mm. really do. Um I I don't think I don't think it ended up being a huge controversy. No. I just know there was a you know there was a little bit of there chatter little. Uh, about it, but I I think it's appropriate. I think it works, and you know maybe twenty years from now I'll be canceled because I think so. But uh, who knows? <laughs> but you know, how the world works. Uh, but I I actually th- thought it worked um, worked really well. I think the makeup was mm. well deserving of yeah. uh, of any awards that they might win for. For makeup in this um the only other thing i would say is uh if you're not a fan of um well i guess classical music would be the term uh, or orchestral music mm. Mm. um then uh i'm sorry uh but you're gonna you're gonna have to be uh because this movie <laughs> proves why it's amazing <laughs> have we what andrew have you been to the orchestra before 
Last time I was in L.A., I went and saw the L.A. Philharmonic do Mahler, um, and, oh. uh, and it was super powerful. In fact, the conductor was an older, uh, I should look up the name, um, but he had been diagnosed with cancer, I believe, and was in remission and was uh, doing this symphony. It was, I think it was Mahler number... I want to say four, but anyways, whatever Mahler symphony it was, was the one that Mahler wrote after dealing with his health issues and, and those kind of things. And it was, it was really powerful. It was at the Disney concert hall in LA, one of the best acoustic buildings in the world. It was insane. I loved it so much. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good stuff. The LA Philharmonic is just great. I saw uh, Vivaldi's Four Seasons nice. performed in Venice, and uh, oh. it was it was so good. Directed <laughs> by Vivaldi that, himself. Yeah, <laughs> back from the dead. No, it was so good that as soon as because it was in a church as well. Mm. So as you can imagine, the acoustics were just and I've never seen people's fingers go across a violin that fast. Like it's mm. crazy, but. We, what happened was the show finished. We, um, Toby, my partner, got up, went to the back and bought tickets for the next night. <laughs> and then we went back yeah. the next <laughs> night and watched it again because this we were on the side and then we watched it in the front row. And it was, it was like, I remember being a kid being like, it's boring to sit there and listen to classical music. But then you really just like, I was just watching like fingers and talent and... Oh, it's so impressive. All I could think about was, wow, I wish I was that impressive. <laughs> like, it's just, uh, it's really something magical. It really is. Yeah. Um, we're, we're planning a trip to England at some point, and I really want to see if the the London, because um, they're like number two symphony in the or mm. orchestra in the world, I think. Um, number two or number three. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really... Really into the classical music when I get a chance. Not a lot of it here in the Ozarks, uh, but uh, but it'll it'll come through every once in a while. Oh, There's also, heaps here in Melbourne, so come here. Uh, next time I'm in LA, by the way, uh, I'm going to see the uh, uh, at the Dolby Theater where the Oscars take place. I'm going to go see them do a live orchestration for uh, Tim Burton's Batman. Um, so there'll be a live orchestra in there for all the music and yeah. So it's it's going to be awesome. You enjoy that. Oh, yeah. I will. I will. <laughs> I will. All right. Well, we talked a long time about Maestro. So uh, let's go ahead and move on to the next review. Let's talk a little bit about Wonka. I've spent the past seven years traveling the world perfecting my craft. You see, I'm something of a magician, inventor, and chocolate maker. So quiet up and listen down. Nope, scratch that, reverse it. Mr. Wonka, I can see you're a man of great ingenuity. What are you doing? I'm making chocolate, of course. How do you like it? Dark, white, nutty, absolutely insane. Many people have come here to sell chocolate. They've all been crushed by the chocolate cartel. You can't get a shop without selling chocolate. And you can't sell chocolate without a shop. Willy Wonka, chock full of ideas and determined to change the world once delect one delectable bite at a time, is proof that best things in life begin with a dream. And if you're lucky enough to meet Willy Wonka, 
anything is possible. Timothy Chalamet is Wonka in this, brought to us by director Paul King, whose name you may know from directing the Paddington movies. Um, so Hugh Grant coming in as well, who you also may know from Paddington and, of course, other things. Sally Hawkins hanging out as well, who you also may know from Paddington as well as other things. <laughs> Uh, and many, many others. Uh, what did you guys think of Wonka? Did you like it, love it, dislike it, hate it, or it was just okay? Andrew, kick us off. It was okay. It was okay for Andrew. Alice. I loved it. <laughs> Alice loved it. Uh, I also loved it. Um, I'm going to say low side of loved it. Uh, okay. And Alice, I'm going to let you go first. Tell us uh, yeah. why you loved Wonka. I just, it was delightful and charming and whimsical. And I have a feeling that Andrew maybe yours is lower because it was also a musical. (laughs) (laughs) I heard that. I I I like my show. That was music. I I didn't see any of it, but I heard that the the marketing for Wonka hides well, the musical part of it. Yes. Okay. So this is something. This was a con. This was you know not. I guess it's not technically a con of the movie, but this is something that has now happened thrice because this is happening with the Mean Girls movie as well. They're advertising it and hiding the fact that it's a musical. That's so weird. From the advertising completely. If even, you didn't even know, if you don't like musicals, that's weird. Yeah. Why would you want people to go to a musical who don't like musicals? You're just going to make I them agree. mad. <laughs> I agree. Well, it doesn't matter if you get their money. <laughs> well, yeah. that's a very cynical look, but you're right. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. Hollywood, Aaron. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But I had no idea because, yeah, everything about it just makes it seem like it's going to be like Paddington or something, you know, not a musical at all. But this is this is and, and folks do not like listen. It is a hardcore capital M musical. Correct. It is very much a musical. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. I was just I was so charmed and I was so happy. And there's a moment about halfway through the film with balloons. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, I love this film. Like, I, I'm just, I was so happy. You know what I mean? There's so few films where you're just like, I'm happy right now. Mm-hmm. And so that, <laughs> that's how I felt. And Timothy Chalamet, I was a bit like, okay. Because I like Timothy Chalamet, but I'm definitely not like an uber fan of Timothy Chalamet. He was very good. He, he committed yeah. to this role. So, mm-hmm. I, yeah, he was definitely the right choice. For sure. Yeah. No one can ever top Gene Wilder, but Timothy Chalamet does a really good job in not only capturing a young Wonka full of excitement and fun, but also you see the man that he's going to become. You know, it's this subtle addition. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's a subtle addition to the performance, but it adds volumes and it could have been easily over the top, but it wasn't. Mm. No. Um, I, I think this movie is great. I think the music is great. I Mm -hmm. think, uh, I'm, I've got season passes for Paul King. Um, I will see what, whatever (laughs) he does. Uh, we clearly operate on a similar vibe. Mm Um, you know, his, his, at least from his movies, his outlook on life, uh, feels like Seems mine. So nice. you know? Yes, yeah. It's, it's very opti- it feels very optimistic and positive, and I just love it. It makes my heart warm. Um, it's funny. It's really funny. Mm-hmm. I love the three uh, chocolatiers and oh. their interactions yes. together. Just slayed me. Uh, so shout out to Patterson cool. Josephus. <laughs> uh, Patterson <laughs> Patterson Joseph uh, as Slugworth. Uh, I think Matt Lucas plays Prodnose, who I know mm-hmm. from Doctor Who. Uh, and uh, Matthew Bainton plays Fickle Gruber, and the three of them mm. together, I just thought were 
C'est magnifique. Uh, Olivia they Coleman. They were literally mustache twirling villains, which, yes. you know, yeah. it's yeah. so much fun to see. And that's, sorry, sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, Aaron, but I just wanted no. um, to also say it's so nice, you know, in a, in a world that arguably, inarguably could be seen as not like very happy and positive right now. It's so nice. And, and also with there's so many movies that are really, really good, but they're so depressing. It's so nice to just go see something that's just meant to make you happy. And yeah, yeah so yeah. continue your thought. <laughs> uh, no, I was just kind of going through some of the performances. Um, you know, Olivia Coleman, I think, is great in this mm. as well. Uh, I think she's having some fun here. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, the the only one, really I guess... Good at making you hate that character. Yes, yeah. very much so. <laughs> uh, I think Hugh Grant is an Oompa Loompa is inspired. Uh, I would have never <laughs> thought of that. Uh, and I just think it's hilarious. Um, you know the story behind that, don't you, with him not wanting to be in this movie? I've heard a lot of things about Hugh Grant lately where he's like, yeah. I hate doing every job I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, you do it's you, It's like, Hugh. that's fine. Just Make keep doing money. the job. He's like, that's if right. I didn't have to pay for that's my right. kids' there, college, I wouldn't right. have done this movie. There are plenty of people working today who do not enjoy their work. It's yeah, okay. that's fine. I'm enjoying it, and that's, <laughs> that's what matters. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the, the only performance, and I guess I'll throw this in as a, a quick early negative, uh, Keegan-Michael Key didn't quite work for me. Um, I, I, that character is fine, but it just felt, um, a, it felt a little off from the rest of the movie. I don't know if it's because he's, you know, not as it is New York accent. Yeah. <laughs> it's if so it's the, random. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably, it's possibly the Americanness of it all. It's possibly that. That character gaining a lot of weight feels a little more mean spirited than the rest of the movie. I don't know. There's mm. there's something about it. It's not terrible, but there's something about it that just feels a little bit tonally different than the rest of the movie. And I don't know that that's uh, Key's fault, but I'm just saying that that's you know if there's one performance that I would pull out as um, just not fitting, it would probably be that one. But everybody else, I just seems like they're having such a good time and it's really enjoyable. Uh, yeah, I had a lot of fun. Um, Andrew, what did you like about the movie? Timothy Chalamet. Uh, <laughs> and I do, I do think that they did a good job of, you know, making it feel like the old Gene Wilder movie to a sense. I always... How can I say this? I always thought that the Wonka and his factory were on this metaphorical island of silliness, that the world around was normal, but beyond the gates mm-hmm. is where true magic lived. Mm-hmm. And in this film, however, the silliness and ridiculousness kind of seemed to be everywhere. Not Wonka is still the only magical one in this in this world, but it wasn't like it was an oasis. Like right. it, silliness didn't seem to uh, like tantalize people. Like they weren't wonder wonder eyed over like what they were seeing. It was like, oh, how pretty! Not like what the heck? Things are flying, you know, stuff like that mm-hmm. that you would that you saw in the first movie. Like people were freaking out over the fizzy lifting drink and stuff like that, you know? Right? Yeah. Um. So that's. I guess you asked me what did I like about the movie, and I threw out a negative. So there you go. that's how I roll. Uh, other thoughts, Alice. What else are you thinking? Um, I think oh, the set design and the costuming was like again. It was so colorful. I loved the set design. It made me want chocolate. I wanted so much chocolate, and the fact that all the chocolate in the movie is real chocolate that they actually ate. 
um, is crazy to me, but just really makes it that much more impressive. Uh, but especially the bit where the shop opens, I was like, oh my gosh, I can see how this becomes Wonka's factory. But to that point, Andrew, see, I see it as like, even when the movie ends, like there's this, you know, it doesn't end where Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory begins. There's a period of time that has yet to pass. So I wonder if it's, you know, it's the world starts whimsical and then everything happens and he relegates himself into his factory and everything else becomes gray as a result. Um, Maybe that's, I don't know if they do a sequel, but we'll see. (laughs) Isn't that how the Gene Wilder one starts? Like he, he locked up the factory after something happens. I forget what it was. Was it Slugworth or something happens? Yeah. Like they try to steal all his, like um, his recipes and stuff like, and so then he decides to shut his doors. So it's like, we have to, yeah. So it's like, I just imagine that this is, and then he shuts his doors and then the world goes sad and gray and all they have is the regular chocolate and he keeps all the good stuff for himself. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I just really, yeah, I think the set design, again, the practical effects of it all within reason, obviously, there's only so much you can do. I also really enjoy the inclusion of Rowan Atkinson because I really love Rowan Atkinson and him with yeah. him and his monks. <laughs> the, ah, mm-hmm. man. Oh, oh so my. funny. Yes. That so got me the biggest uh, laugh out of me. Mr. Cocoa yeah. Bean. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, so good. I Very like good, Aaron. So Very good. Uh, he is great in this. Um, oh, I, Mr. Coco Bean, I just got it. <laughs> 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 oh, dear. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. You've had COVID. You know. I have COVID. It's, it's okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. Andrew, go ahead. Uh, tell us why this movie's terrible. None of the songs did it for me. Oh, that's too I'll bad. Well, uh, I'll take I take that back. But it's it's a cheat because because it's the old song, World of Pure Imagination. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so it's not from this movie, but it got you but, right. Like that moment is so good. I cried <laughs> yeah, like when a he little, starts, little whenever baby. You hear, Come with me. Oh, I'm, like, uh, I'm transported. Yeah. I'm old. Yeah. I'm young boy again. Yeah, I love Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. That movie mm. is like my childhood. It it really mm. did a lot for me growing up. Um, mm. It was escapism. I think that's what that that movie was. And I think that there are moments of magic in this that reminded me of the escapism that. And I'm not saying like, oh, look at that reference to the original Willy Wonka movie because there are moments where there are you know callbacks and references, or I guess it'd be a call forward in a reference. <laughs> sure. Yeah. To, yeah. Since this movie takes place before Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, but there are moments of magic where I felt this. This new and exciting world was being opened up to us, and we were going to get to see, you know, how chocolate is a metaphor for community. You know, like it's bringing people together. It's it kind of like in Maestro, you know, it's love. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's how he expresses love, and I think that it's a beautiful message. And I agree with you, Alice, where you said that um, during the award season it's all a bunch of depressing movies going for that oscar bait but this is a movie that you can just sit back and just kind of enjoy yourself and you know feel good for a little Mm -hmm. bit yeah yeah totally agree with that uh i agree the the movie uses its references well um i you know i don't 
I can't necessarily be the one to say for sure because I do know the references in this one. So for somebody who doesn't, maybe it felt a little out of place. Uh, the way the movie wields its golden ticket reference is oh, yeah. so amazing. Um, I uh, I wept. Uh, <laughs> it's it's so emotional and beautiful. Uh, so there's just there's a lot that it's doing that I think it, it understands. It understands what it can be to the audience and, and then does that really, really well. Um, I just, I'm really glad, like with, with this in, in Paddington, that, uh, that Paul King's finding, you know, uh, some, some ability to make these kind of movies. Uh, so, yeah, it was, it was really good. Uh, any final thoughts from you guys? No post credit scene. No. Well, well, there's. There's a, there's a credit scene. There's a credits <laughs> scene, I guess you would call it. Sure. But it happens immediately as soon as the credits start. So yeah. mm-hmm. stick around for it. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I, I guess it's not a con, but like I could see some people with hate in their heart. No, no. But I could see some people um, seeing this as being overly saccharine, uh, ironically enough. And... Um, I I think that this, if you are the type of person who doesn't enjoy things that are, say, a little, I'm sorry, I keep a little too sweet, keep using puns, <laughs> but like, and, and a little too nice, like that could qu- turn you off a little bit. Um, but I think similarly to Maestro, I think you have to click into this film. And once you've clicked into the tone, if you can click into say like a Paddington, you can click into this. If it's not, if that, if you don't enjoy Paddington, if you don't enjoy those type of movies that are just meant to be this, like, it's not going to fully explain everything. You just got to kind of go for the ride. Things are the way they are. Then, then this might not be the movie for you and that's okay. But if you are on board for that, you will have a really, really good time. And yes, again, I cannot emphasize this amount enough. This is a musical. It's a musical. There's lots of singing and dancing. And so is and- Mean Girls and so is Color yes. Purple. Uh, yes. So, I yes. did expect this to be a musical, by the way. Okay, I did good. expect good. it to be. Just because the first one was. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yes. And so is Mean Girls. Yes. For January. I don't know why they're doing it because now it just makes it look like it's a reboot of the 2004. It's not. It's the musical. Ah, so silly. It's okay. It's okay. We'll survive. <laughs> we don't have to understand everything. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let them. Alice get heated over here. That's right. That's right. I like musicals. That's the thing. I really do. So and I just think it's silly because all it's going to do is make people be mad that they went to go see the movie because some people really hate musicals. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, speaking of things that some people uh, really hate, uh, we're going to talk about Timothy Chalamet uh, for the best ever challenge. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't know that anybody. I was going to say, Timothy do people? <laughs> Isn't he like beloved right now? He's like, the uh, yeah. One I don't know. It always seems boy. like young young actors always have like a lot of hate thrown at them, male and female, uh, for whatever reason. I think it's that whole cultural thing, you know, build people up to tear them down, kind of kind of stuff that that always Mm. seems to go on actually before we get to that thank you to our sif pop members uh did want to show throw a shout out to you got some extra content there for you including as we mentioned a 45 minute conversation (laughs) in the pre-show about various and sundry things uh that we hope you enjoy let us know if you're enjoying those um and if you're curious about what goes on with the uh the sif pop membership you can go check that out at patreon patreon.com slash sif pop truly appreciate you even uh checking it out 
and uh, thanks for for your support if you support and thanks for you telling others about it if you tell others about it and thanks for listening if you listen we appreciate you all when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over 600 dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply all right, now we'll talk about the reviled Timothy Chalamet and his best ever movie films. Nobody likes this guy. Uh, oh. So, what are we will go from number Tom five Holland's to the better version? No. <laughs> number five to number one, uh, best ever Timothy Chalamet movies. The best. I feel like there's going to be a lot Timothy of trumping. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's been in uh, probably ten or so, a dozen or so that people know. <laughs> Um, so yeah, we'll have some crossover for sure, but he's been in a lot of good stuff, so it should be a good, good conversation. So yes, we will, uh, be looking at from number five to number one. If you have something higher, just, just make sure you Trump it so that we talk about it when it's at its highest. I'll kick us off at number five. Uh, my number five Timothy Chalamet movie is don't look up. Um, this got mixed reactions. Uh, from a lot of different people, but I really, really enjoyed it. And I mm. think he specifically is one of the reasons I really, really enjoyed it. I love that character. Um, I do love what this movie is trying to do with the satire. Uh, I think this movie really goes for it satirically, like very few movies uh, do. Um, but probably because our world feels like satire so much recently, it's one of those things where um, it's harder for satire to do its work, but I really like Don't Look Up um, and really like his performance in it. That is my number five. Andrew, what's your number five? My number five is Hostiles mm. or Hostiles, oh. whatever you want to say it. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's not in it that much, but that's not what this uh, little uh, challenge of ours is about. Right. So, yeah. Uh, it's Despite what very... some guests might or might not say. <laughs> yes. Despite... You and I make the rules. That's right. We, <laughs> yeah. I say you and I, you're the one who really makes the rules. <laughs> um, but no, Hostels is a really good movie. I think that uh, Christian Bale is, uh, I love when he does a, a Western, like 310 to Yuma or this. This is a little bit different than most Westerns. It's about a um, military commander who has to escort a tribal leader away from uh uh, the areas that they're in and they're getting relocated it or no he was a he's a going to uh, for trial and stuff very fascinating movie um totally underrated highly recommend it there you go uh hostels in at number five for andrew alice what is your number five might get trumped but call me by your name no no nope. my like, first honorable mention i didn't even like oh, that movie okay. so oh wow okay <laughs> so i'll keep my mouth shut <laughs> you can talk about how great it is. I I mean, it's number five for a reason. Like, I like it. It's it's um it's not one of my favorites. I really love his performance in it. Like his performance is what makes the movie for me. I think his like credits, like standing there staring at the fire, crying over the credits. Great credits. It, Oh, it's just, it's so powerful. And it's the credits. Like, it's just, he had to just, I always think about that. He had to just sit there and cry at fire 
because credits like i just and it's such a great way to end <laughs> the film credits <laughs> and then they were like all right another three minutes tim all right keep going yep you're doing really well like i just can't imagine but i think that he he's so good at showing the frivolous nature of like being this person getting caught up in this romance and then having to kind of come down from it. And then I love the conversation between him and his father. I think that's one of the most powerful, one of the best scenes of the film. Like, I just think it's a great uh, showpiece for Timothy. And so it, and then obviously it's set in Italy and I'm from Italy. So I'm all like, Oh, that's fun. Um, But yeah, it's a great, I really, really love his performance in it. Um, Which is why like as a film, like, would I haven't seen it again really since the year it came out, but I will always remember his performance in it. There you go. Call me by your name in at number five. Uh, on to our number fours. Uh, Dune Part One is my number four. Trump. 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 I assumed as much. Uh, Andrew, what is your number four? Beautiful boy. Mm, in my honorable mention. I haven't seen it. You should see it. It's I really think, good. I but think this might sad. be Timothy Chalamet's best performance. I think, I think you might this be right. Might be his best performance. Yeah. Mm. Um, it's it's we talk about transformative performances, like we were talking about with Maestro. The amount of backstory and like, or I mean, uh, background information and like detailing out a character he had to have done, like just homework on what it's like to be a drug addict. It's it's a rough movie but him and steve carell are brilliant in this movie talking about a father and son dynamic a son who's addicted to drugs and his father's on the verge of giving up on his son it's it's rough but it's a powerful movie Mm -hmm. i agree it was in my honorable mentions uh alice what is your number four lady bird All right, on to our number threes. Uh, Might hear Trump here as well. I have little little women at number three. Oh, you you hit that button. Hit that (laughs) button. Uh, Andrew, what is your number three? Lady Bird. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Alice, what is your number three? Uh, I mean, I think it's about to get, but Dune. Yeah. All right. How fun. On to our number twos. Uh, There can't be many more movies to Trump, can there? Uh, Uh, There's one. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, In at number two, I have Interstellar. Oh, that's my number two. Uh, Andrew, what do you have in at number two? Can we finally talk about Dune? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It's the the greatest first half of a movie ever. And there's competition for that award. Uh, yeah, yes. I was going to yeah, say that. Spider-Man that's into the Spider-Verse. Spider- mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Across the Spider-Verse. Fast X. Across apologies. Uh, no, Fast X is not in that conversation. How dare you? Uh, Andrew, you have Dune at number two. Uh, Alice, you had it at number three. I had it at number four. Uh, so yeah, Andrew, uh, talk uh, talk more about why you love Dune. Denis Villeneuve. That's the main reason. Uh, he's my favorite director. Uh, right now, uh, he can do no wrong except for making only half of a movie and not telling anybody <laughs> about it. Um, I don't know if that's him to blame or the marketing. I was going to gonna blame, say that's probably the marketing. <laughs> Once yeah. again, he could have said something. He could have been in an interview and being like, first half. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I think that visually it's it's 
one of the most visually stunning movies I've ever seen in my life. The way they can make Arrakis a completely desert planet, jaw-droppingly beautiful. I mean, you'd think that there'd be no variety in dirt, rocks, and sand. You'd be wrong. It's it's gorgeous movie. Uh, yeah, so many amazing things to say about it. Yep, Alice. You have any thoughts? Uh, I mean, I remember when I walked out of that movie because I watched it in IMAX for the first time, uh, and I just remember mm. being like, "That was a loud movie," but not just like sound wise. <laughs> visually, it's a loud film because yes. it is so staggering. I just remember like we all walked out and we were all just staggering because I was like, "Let me just give me like twenty five minutes to to actually take the film in." Now that I've seen it, like, and and it's it's just. I I agree. You basically took the words out of my mouth, Andrew. Like, Denis Villeneuve is my favorite director right now. He can do no wrong in my eyes. And I think the moment I saw Blade Runner 2049 and there's that kind of sand desert scene in that and he was announced for Dune, I was like, oh, he's got this. He's fine. Like, he's going to do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm so excited for the next part and I'm so annoyed it keeps getting pushed back, especially because Florence Pugh in it and the fact that my favorite actress and my favorite director are doing a movie together, I might cry. So that's what I think. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was really super annoyed by the part one thing. Um, and as Andrew said, not just because it is a part one, which is annoying enough, but because of the way that it was mm. uh, presented as a part one was also really annoying. Um in that the first time I ever saw part one was on the title when I watched the movie. I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, but it's, it's spectacular and I can't wait to see the rest of the movie. Um, so yeah, I look forward to it. Uh, and it's my number four. That's my number two. All right. Uh, Alice, what's your number two? Interstellar. Well then. Yeah. <laughs> and now so. there is nobody that can trump us. Uh, <laughs> we are at our number ones. And that's right. My number one is Lady Bird. Um, I think this movie is so good. Uh, I think Greta Gerwig has proven how talented she is at telling stories. Um, And I uh, recently went back and did a pretty detailed watch of this. Um, And it is just, it's one of those movies that just holds up, keeps revealing itself. It's just beautiful all around. Um, Saoirse Ronan is absolutely astonishing uh, in it. So yeah, Lady Bird is great. Where did you guys have it? I had it at number, number three. Four. All right, one, three, and four. Um, what did you guys want to say about it? It's one of the most real movies I've ever seen. Like it's so authentic in its characters, the dialogue, the settings. Everything just seemed like this is a documentary, pretty much about this person, and they just filmed them. It just it just seems so real. I loved it. Mm-hmm. It very much gets the mothers and daughters uh, yep. dynamic. <laughs> <laughs> As someone who was once upon a time a teenage girl, I can tell you right now, it is very real and it's uncomfortable. Did you jump out of a moving car and break your arm? Oh, I wanted to. <laughs> she did what many of us have wanted to do. Like I, I still remember watching that scene and laughing my head off because I was like, it's so like, and then she just and I'm like, oh my god! But I, th- I agree. Like Sergio Ronan, um, she's like my age, and I can't handle how talented she is. She so super is 
so crazy, but also like where Denis Villeneuve is my favorite director, like uh, Greta Gerwig is, you know, is, she's very close to becoming equal, but right now she's second and I will also consume anything she wants to present me because I love the way she tells stories. I love the way she writes characters. There's a sweater I've had my eye on for a while that says written and directed by Greta Gerwig. And I really, (laughs) I want it because of just how it's such a, the way she presents stories to me is in a way that I can immediately understand and feel part of them. And I will never not enjoy that. So, yeah. Nice. There you go. Some thoughts on Lady Bird. Andrew, your number one. Interstellar. And both of our number twos. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, talk about it. Um, Makes me cry almost more than any other movie I can think of. It's Christopher Nolan, who, as Alice said with Greta Gerwig, as her, her like runner up almost, I think mm. Christopher Nolan is like pretty close to being my runner up favorite mm. director. Um. Yeah, there is just I've said a, I've talked a lot about this movie, so I don't know how much more I can add to the praise I've thrown on it over the years. But I'll just say that this is probably the movie I realized. Oh no, I take that back. Dallas Buyers Club, but McConaughey coming into this McConaughey, and I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I should have been paying attention to this guy. I should have been paying attention because he can act for sure. And uh, Alice yeah, Interstellar is just a beautiful movie. Any thoughts? Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, I love this movie. I love space things. <laughs> that mm-hmm. sounds weird, but I love things about space. And I am one of, I really enjoy the thesis of love at the center of this film. I think it's so powerful. I think it works really well because I agree. I, it makes sense the way in which he presents it in the film to me. And, uh, it's, I got, I think it's my favorite score of all time. Like just that. That the I watched a, a, a little featurette on how Hans Zimmer came up with the music, and it was where they oh, went to I that German uh, yeah. cathedral. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it was such a good documentary. Such a good one, and I was just like, I love this film. It's so good. I I love it. It's three hours, but you wouldn't even know. Like every time I forget, it's a three hour movie. Every single time I watch it, because it's just I'm engrossed yeah. the entire time. I agree with everything you guys mm-hmm. said. I don't really feel like I have a ton to add. Um, it is. <laughs> It is as deep as it is beautiful, and that's that's a wonderful thing. Uh, Alice, you're number one. Little Women. That uh, was my number three, and somehow Andrew never didn't have it, it on his list. What? <laughs> You've never I seen, seen it. it. <gasps> you go watch it right now, Andrew. I don't care. That it's, it's nighttime for you We don't need to guys. know your buried treasure. You go watch a movie. <laughs> Yes, it's, ma'am. I'm on it. it. Look, it was it was my favorite movie of that year. I I also love Little Women as a book. Like it was one of those you know very classic sort of growing up and as a woman and reading Little Women sort of um, formative years sort of situation. But Greta Gerwig managed to improve the story. Like it it's not that just that she adapted it perfectly. She adapted it in a way that actually made me not absolutely hate Amy with every passion in my because normally when I read it Amy annoys the hell out of me but she made her my favorite character in the movie like again Florence Pugh is just astounding but also what I will say is that she for the first time she actually adapted Laurie Timothy Chalamet's character in a way which is so 
That is what he's meant to be because I love the 1994 version, but Christian Bale is too handsome to be Laurie. Like he, he, the whole time you're like, why would you reject him, Joe? That makes no sense. Wait, but are you watching, saying Timothy Chalamet isn't handsome? I'm not saying he's not handsome, but he he's boyish. Where like, I feel like- Yes, she, exactly uh, that. Where, yeah. yeah, I think that like where um, Christian Bale, he he's still very good because he's Christian Bale, but he was too like- I, w- the, I, I didn't understand why Joe would reject him. But watching this, I was like, mm. I understand why Joe would reject him because he's so boyish and the way he reacts and the yes. way that conversation works. Yes. I also would be like, oh, honey, no, I would not want to be in a it's relationship with you. It's a maturity thing. There's a maturity level. Yeah. And you see that grow in that second half and you see why then Amy and him work together and why Joe would reject and then what needs something else. And it's just... I, I lo- it's such a beautiful story about friendship and family and growth and tragedy and oh, and it's such a perfect adaptation. No one ever needs to make a Little Women movie ever again. Well, I, I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, <laughs> I, I also think it's amazing. And I, you, you hit the points that I would hit and primarily among them that Greta Gerwig managed to make this story perfect, whereas before yeah. it was just good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's wonderful. <laughs> Uh, as far as honorable mentions, um, I have to mention French Dispatch, a movie I really, really uh, enjoy. Did you guys have anything that you wanted to mention honorable, honorably? <laughs> he got I'll there. Throw the out what the gurus had. Yeah, what, what about the gurus? So number three with ten points, we had Dune. Okay. Mm-hmm. At number two with fourteen points, we had Interstellar. Mm-hmm. Mm. And number one with 17 points, we had Lady Bird. That's oh. right. That's right, gurus. <laughs> they know what they're talking about. Uh, <laughs> all right. Before we uh, finish this thing out, let's talk about some buried treasure. What's that one thing in any area of pop culture that you want to make sure people know about? Alice, you're our guest, so you will go last. Um, Andrew, why don't you kick us off? Netflix has released something that I have been looking forward to for a very, very long time. Mm. I have been super excited about the special effects in this, mm-hmm. and it's finally uh, here. No, it's not Rebel Moon. Nope. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> World War II from the front lines Ooh. really blew me away. I've always been fascinated by World War II and history and that sort of thing. This is actual footage from World War II where they have taken it and they've upscaled all the footage and they've colorized it. And it's very fascinating. It's John Boyega who's uh, directing it. By the way, John Boyega would make a perfect King the Conqueror replacement. Um, uh, But uh, it starts off, it it goes linearly so it doesn't jump from like uh, the beginning of the war to say, Pearl Harbor and then back to Poland and stuff like that. It it goes fairly linearly. I was blown away by all the stuff that I thought I knew about World War II and hearing uh, actual survivors, not only soldiers, uh, on all sides. You'll you'll get uh, commentary and narration from soldiers from Germany. You'll get uh, commentary from soldiers from Poland, from America, from Great Britain. You'll also get... uh, uh, survivors, like civilian survivors of the war and stuff like that. So many new interesting details that I'd never known before. If you were at all a huge fan or a, a fan of like learning about history or learning about World War II, highly recommend that you add this to your uh, viewing. 
Very nice. Uh, that is what's it, what's the title? World War Two. World War Two from the front lines. And that is on Netflix. Uh, my buried treasure this week is something I also have been looking forward to for a long, long time. I just didn't know that I've been looking forward to it for a long, long time. <laughs> uh, I believe this is on Peacock. Um, this is Mr. Monk's last case. Oh, yeah. Uh, Monk is back. Tony Shalhoub is back as Monk. And uh, the best thing I can say about this movie, and it is a movie, movie length, is that it perfectly understands what people who loved watching Monk loved about watching Monk. And so it's, you know, it's not, it doesn't take the old show and change it in ways that make it feel more modern or different or whatever. It really feels like an extended great episode of Monk that maybe if anything is a little bit different, maybe it's a little bit deeper, uh, you know, a little bit more, um, meaningful as we're dealing with a monk who really feels like their life is over and that that uh that um that there isn't a lot to live for and so it deals with those uh situations and i thought a pretty real and honest way considering that this is kind of an absurdist comedy monk has always been a little bit out there as far as a comedy goes it's not something you watch and go oh yeah those feel like real people in the real world that's not what monk is about like it's you know it's definitely sitcom-y in a lot of ways with its performances and its actors and its scenarios and this continues that and i'm glad because i really enjoyed watching monk and i really enjoyed this movie so check out mr monk's last case on peacock if you enjoyed the TV series Monk. It is definitely uh, a beautiful addition to that. Um, Alice, what is your buried treasure? Well, uh, as we all know, I'm on a podcast with someone who can't read and someone who doesn't read. But (laughs) worry no more because I have a solution for you and all those out there. And it's not just audiobooks. No, it's not just audiobooks. It's a new version <laughs> of an audiobook. So, I don't know if you guys have heard of this thing called graphic audio, one word, and their tagline is a movie in your mind. So, what they do is they take stories and books. Um, some of them are original stories, but now they've started getting more and more licenses to actual books and they adapt it with a full cast, full music, sound effects, everything. So it's literally Mm. like a radio play, but it's of your favorite books and it is amazing. They, I- textually faithful like is it yes, literally yes, just no, reading the text it's it's literally so the only difference is, is that instead of it being like and then i said blah 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 they would just say the line or like okay. if it would say in the book like breathlessly he whispered they would just whisper the line breathlessly mm. if that I don't makes know sense i feel about that but go, no, go ahead tr- trust me it it you i was a bit but w- it makes sense cuz it wouldn't make sense if he if like the narrator especially if it's a first person thing um if the narrator would do that and then they would it just kind of keeps it going but sure. i'll tell you this I, much cuz i I had read, um, so there's a series of books I really love. They're the Akatar books. They're romantic-y. They're, you know, very much if you're a romantic-y girly, I'm sure you've heard of about them. Um, but it is a five-book series. I'm obsessed with them. I read them all. And then I saw that they're on graphic audio. 
And I listened. I did nothing. I did nothing for two weeks. I just sat and listened to it. And I, I got through so much life admin because I was desperately trying to find things that I could do while listening to this. And this was like each, uh, so each book split into like one to three parts and each parts like nine ish hours. So, you know, on average, uh, you'd have about like 50 or 60 hours of something that I listened to across two weeks and I was constantly playing it. I just needed to listen. Even though I knew the story, I've read the story. I know everything that happens, but it's so well done. And the way in which they do the, the big emotional scenes and there's battle scenes, they have all the battles going on, the music that gets added in. Um, it's just, it is literally a movie in your mind. And I cannot recommend it enough. They are, uh, if you're a Sarah J Mass fan, they've gotten all the stuff to her books. They're doing the fourth wing books. I think there's some like Brandon Sanderson on there. Like they, if you just go on, they have all their authors and stuff. Um, and if, if it's like, oh, you, you know, you don't have time to sit and read or you don't like reading and audiobooks aren't quite right. Cause I've always found it weird when I listen to an audiobook and say, if it's like a female narrator and then they go and do a male voice, it's always weird to me when it's like, Oh, and then Tom said, yes, I think that that's, uh, I'm always like, that's so weird. I don't enjoy that at all. <laughs> but this takes care of that for you because it's, it is, you know, the actors are cast and the sound effects. And I mean, sound effects, like it'll be like, and then a door opened and it will be like, and it'll literally, and it feels like you're in it. It's so good. Highly recommend. If you just, you can always, they have samples on the, on the website and stuff. You can listen to it. It's great. Can recommend. It seemed reasonably priced too. Like I'm looking yeah. at one right now. It's only twelve bucks. That's yeah. not bad. And it's like hours of like enjoyment. So I mean, I I've already pre-ordered all the books that I want to listen to. I've got all the ones I that I can physically have. Um, and yeah, like I said, if it's like if you don't enjoy reading but do enjoy consuming stories, and you just sometimes audiobooks aren't quite right, this is that perfect. It's literally a movie in your mind, the modern radio play, if you will. Well, there you go. Uh, I'm sure there are some some pages in there brought to life that uh, that are pretty intense. Uh, if if <laughs> yeah. I know some of those books you mentioned, uh, yes, that, they uh, are. <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Uh, that is Graphic Audio. You can check out more about that at graphicaudio.net. Uh, World War II from the front lines on Netflix. And Mr. Monk's last case is on Peacock. Well, we did it, guys. We managed to do a podcast. Woo! Congratulations. Woo! We didn't even have to study for five years to figure out how to do it. So congratulations. Well, the podcast to all of us. lasted five years. Well, but... yeah. Well, you know, more than 10 now. <laughs> headed, headed to 11. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today for Sif Pop. It is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. Find out more about other shows on the network at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. Huge thanks to Andrew for hanging out again today. Thank you, buddy. Big thanks to producer Phil for producing the audio and video show. Thanks, Phil. And thank you to Alice Ginevra McKelly uh, for hanging out <laughs> with us Ginevra. again uh, today. Alice, where would you send people to find more of your stuff? 
Well, uh, as I always mentioned, I'm a writer for SifPop.com. So my next thing I will be working on uh, next week will be a review for Slow Horses Season 3, which is a fantastic Mm. show and everyone should be watching it. Um, And then you should read my review. You should read my review and then you should go watch it. Um, And then otherwise, you can find me on Instagram and Letterboxd at Ali G Mick, A-L-I-G-M-I-C-H. And you can just tell me why I'm right about all of my opinions. Thank you. I I found no H in your heart. Um, All right. Uh, We will then also thank our uh, Sif Pop members at Patreon, patreon.com slash Sif Pop. Thank you so much for supporting us. Support starts at three bucks a month, and we appreciate that. Thank you for leaving comments, leaving reviews, uh, all that stuff wherever you listen, whether it be Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also email us feedback at sifpop.com if you want to do that. And finally, if you're having a good time, your movie-loving friends will probably like the show too, so make sure you let them know about it and that listening is much easier than making me believe in an overweight Keegan-Michael Key. <laughs> we'll be back uh, next week, I think, with our 2024 most anticipated episode. Ooh. So we're going to be talking Ooh. about what we're looking forward to uh, next year, and we'll see you guys then. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>